I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 112. The world's still crazy. We're still indoors. And I just want to be served at a restaurant. <laughs> you know, the, like the only silver lining in all of this is that at least it's been beautiful outside this past couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, I know it hasn't been beautiful weather everywhere because I know some people are still getting snow. But here it's been like that perfect, I mean, what's your perfect date? April 25th. I mean, it's been amazing <laughs> weather. Yeah. You know what else is amazing? Patreoners. That's right. We have Aaron Yu from Ohio. Desiree L. from California. Katie G. from New York. Marie H. from Illinois. Jalise H. from Georgia. And you know what? I have a Randy H. from Ohio. Hmm. Wonder if they're related. Really, Patty Joe? Really? <laughs> I mean, they have the same last name. H. <laughs> and then I'm Patty Joe because I had to explain the joke. Yes. Oh, gosh. Gone but not forgotten. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is her death month. In case y'all are just tuning in, that's <laughs> My Donna's mom. My dead. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, we're laughing at it to keep from crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Some people don't understand the comedy of death. Like, yeah, like it's for like this. That is how we deal with emotions. Like we laugh. Yeah. Like at funerals. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just like you have you have to. That's just how we deal with emotion. Yeah. Through life. And I feel like if you're listening to this podcast, you do, too. Oh, yeah. Unless you leave us a bad review and then you don't laugh at the funeral stuff that we do. Mm-mm, mm-mm. You certainly don't say fuck. Mm, no. No. No, when I say my fucking mom is dead, you're like, that is terrible. And then when I laugh at that, they're like, they are going to hell. <laughs> They're going basket. to double, no, what is it? They're going to H E double hockey sticks. I think it's Yes. Okay. Well, with all that said, if you find humor in death, no, just kidding. But really and truly, if uh, you want the extra content that's on Patreon or you want an episode shout out like that, head on over patreon.com slash the APC podcast. It's so crazy. There's like nothing to talk about because we're literally doing nothing. I know, I know. But both still working, so it's not like we have, like, Netflix shows and stuff to talk about. Well, Well, I'm sure you do, because you don't need sleep, but. (laughs) I cleaned out my closet. Tell them why, Carrie. You know, just in case Colby wants to put a couple of things in it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, if we don't have anything else to talk about, I'm going to segue to my story because y'all are a great couple and I'm going to talk about a great couple. So there you go. I thought that was going to be a closet involved. Actually, there is a closet involved. So there you go. I mean, you can't write this shit. <laughs> Our transitions are on point. <laughs> oh, God. Just kidding. We don't know what we're doing. No. <laughs> oh, everyone's like, yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So... The couple I'm talking about is Greg and Dana Newkirk, because apparently I'm just a huge fangirl for them, and I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm doing another haunted object of theirs. 
This one isn't as scary as the crone that I've done, but it is intriguing like the idol I did. As long as it's not another fucking doll. Nope, it's not a doll. What I'm covering has become known as the dark mirror. Isn't that a movie? It actually is. How do you know that? Is it called the black mirror? Well, black mirror is a TV series, but there is a dark mirror movie. Oh. I don't know, the lucky guess. (laughs) (laughs) So picture it. In June 2015, Greg and Dana Newkirk were contacted by a woman who said that she had an object that she wanted to give them. And if you're not familiar with them, they own the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult, among a million other endeavors that they do. And I usually shout them out all the time because, you know, synchronicity. A.K.A. she's obsessed. I am. So the lady wanted to remain anonymous. When Greg wrote his article on their website called weekinweird.com about this object, he dubbed her as Sarah, so that's what we're going to call her too. What's their website? Weekinweird.com. Like W-E-A-K? No. W-E-E-K? Uh-huh. I-N weird.com. She said that her mom is actually the one with the object, and Sarah's mom went to a psychic expo that was held annually in Columbus, Ohio. Hold the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to go. Right? I know. Well, it was there that she learned all about black mirror scrying, and she was super interested in it, and she even went as far as purchasing her own black mirror. So if you're not familiar with what scrying even is, don't feel bad because I didn't know it either until we met Courtney from Spellcast, the podcast. Her boyfriend, Andrael, does it. And so I learned a little bit about it because I had never heard about it before then, besides like it being a word in like a fairy tale-ish movie kind of thing, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like an old like witch does it or something, you know, and I like literally just heard the word. Yeah. He's how I know it, too. (laughs) Well, good old Wikipedia said that it's also known as seeing or peeping. So basically, it's really concentrating in something usually reflective, like certain stones, bowls of water, mirrors, crystal balls. And it's all with the goal of receiving a significant message or visions. But you can use, like, fire, like from a flame of a candle or an actual big fire to scry as well. And in many cultures, it's believed to have the ability to reveal the past, the present, and the future. And Courtney said that it can also be a divination tool to see into your unconscious mind and speak to spirits and other entities. So if y'all want to learn more stuff like about that, check out her podcast, Spellcast. And you might be thinking, that sounds so far-stretched, because I see it in Carrie's eyes. But think about this. That is basically what you're doing when you play Bloody Mary or Candyman. I mean, those have never worked for me. But I will say, I've also heard, though, that it could be, like, it can lead to some really dark shit. Yeah. So, like, it's like a be careful of it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've heard of... Nostradamus, and he used scrying mirrors 
for all of his predictions of future events. Also, going back to Courtney, I reached out to her, obviously, about this, and she did give me some instructions. If you're curious to do it yourself, you bless, cleanse, and consecrate the mirror by using four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. What the Captain Planet's going on, but there we go. Never mind. I was like, isn't it consecrate when you have sex when you get married? But it's consummate. Damn. And I'm the horny one. Okay. Okay. I was sitting here going, the fuck? <laughs> Literally. Damn. You also cleanse it and consecrate it with blessed or holy salt water and the smoke of frankincense and sage incense. And after you cleanse it, you can use your wand or your hand, and then you kind of will your magical energy into the mirror until you feel it activate. And you can say an incantation or a mantra as you do this. It's really, I think, just to get your mind focused. Mm-hmm. She did say, though, if you're opening a portal, it's best to draw a circle of protection like you do with a Ouija board. How about this? Don't open a fucking portal. (laughs) Don't do it. Well, what she's saying is if you want to talk to spirits. I mean, it's not like they're, like, opening a portal to hell. I don't give a shit where you're opening a portal to. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Say no to portals. (laughs) Because it's usually the people opening that shit that don't know how to fucking close it. And then somebody got to come in and close your shit. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I listen to Ghosts in the Burbs. <laughs> well, okay. So, also, you should do this in dim light or candlelight or in the dark. And you stare until you experience something, really. And it's usually either seeing forms or symbols. But, as always, be careful and you do so at your own risk. Yeah, we already warned y'all it could be dangerous. Yes. We are not responsible for you. Definitely not. Opening a portal. I'm just saying, if you want to, there's how Courtney said to do it safely. At your own risk. At your own risk. Greg said during an interview on the Bizarre States podcast, and it just stuck with me, but the two hosts were going to try the dark mirror, and he said that the best advice he could give them is to not use it as a mirror, but as a window. And he said, just think about looking at your windows at night, and your lights are on, and you're trying to look outside, and you have to kind of like really focus and look through, not at your reflection. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because if I was doing it, like, I would look at my, like, eyes and, like, just focus on me and not be on me. Well, I kind of thought that, not not that, because I'm not smart like that. But <laughs> but I thought, like, if stuff starts appearing, like, can you, like, move your eyes to it? Or is it almost like a magic eye where you got to <laughs> see it without moving your eyes or you lose it? You know what I mean? Right. I don't know. So now that you know about scrying, all of that, let's get back to the story. Sarah said that after the expo, her mom was really intent on practicing her scrying. 
And over the next few weeks, she grew distant. And it even got to a point where Sarah couldn't get her mom on the phone to talk at all. And the few times she did pick up, the conversations were just surface level stuff and kind of gloomy. And then one day, Sarah's mom finally confessed to her that she had not really been successful as of yet. And she really thought there was something wrong with the mirror. And that's why she was like consumed with it and all of that. So Sarah's like, okay, that's why she's so obsessed with it because she's not able to do it. And you know, you fixate on your flaws and inabilities. So she's like, okay. But then her mom just kept withdrawing from her life, from her daughter, from everything. And she was full-blown obsessed with being successful in scrying. And Sarah's mom would be very defensive when someone questioned her or would show concern over the amount of time she was devoting to this. And no one truly knew how bad it was, though. Sarah didn't know this at the time, but her mom would sit in her closet for hours upon hours, scrying with the dark mirror. And when she would come out of the closet, she would be drained and frazzled and, you know, just lethargic. That's where the closet came in when you're like, Mm -hmm. does it involve a closet? Actually, yes. Well, Sarah couldn't take it anymore. And she went over to her mom's house and she was like, okay, let me see this damn thing. And she's like, this is the most important thing in your life. Let me see it. And she said her mom was visibly shaken up and distraught, but she opened up her closet and pulled out the mirror, but it was covered in a black veil. And so Sarah questioned her mom, like, what the fuck kind of presentation is this? Why is it wrapped up? And why do you have it locked away? Like, you're obsessed with it. You would think she would have it on, like, the fucking bedside table. Yeah. So when Sarah questioned why, her mom finally just broke down in tears, and all she could muster out was one word. Evil. (gasps) So Sarah did not unwrap the mirror or anything. She just put it in a box and took it home with her. It was shortly after this whole exchange when Sarah reached out and told the Newkirks about the mirror. She said that she really thought her mom had made some of it up, not in a malicious way, but, you know, like you get invested and it consumes you and it's never good. It can drive anyone mad. So she basically thought her mom was taking her new hobby way too seriously. However, even though she was very skeptical of the mirror and all the quote unquote evil her mom was clearly afraid of, Sarah said she just couldn't shake the uneasy feeling about the mirror. She wanted to donate the mirror to the museum, but with two conditions. One, I already mentioned she wanted anonymity and also she wanted regular updates. So I really don't believe she was very skeptical at all, honestly. Like if she wanted updates, she really thought something would happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, here's my thing with the scrying. I feel like if you stare into anything for a period of time, you're going to start seeing stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's scientific, there's a name for it because it, it does do that. Your mind does do that. But is it your mind doing it or is your mind actually seeing things that you couldn't see? You know, it's like, yeah, which really and truly, which is it? Is it a hallucination or is it really your dead grandma coming to see you? 
Who knows? Who knows? Well, the Newkirks obviously agreed and added the object to their collection, and they welcomed the mirror in their house, and it sat on their mantle, but they still had the black veil over it, and it was like handkerchief material. The very first show that the mirror went to is where it got its name. It was late in June, and Greg said that within minutes of them unpacking their stuff, people were already curious what's underneath the black veil. So he did his normal spiel about everyone who holds, experiments, etc., does so at their own risk, and then he gave the history that he knows of the mirror. Well, it didn't take long before one woman grabbed the mirror up and eagerly unveiled it. And she gazed for about 30 seconds before she placed the mirror back down on the table, frame face down, with a horrified look on her face. Of course, Greg asked her what she saw, and she said that, quote, I saw my own decomposing corpse looking back at me. That's a dark mirror. I should not have done that. I need to go say a prayer. Excuse me. Holy shit. Yeah, and that's how the mirror became the dark mirror. Holy shit. Yeah. She wasn't the only one who gazed into the mirror. Some didn't have anything weird happen at all, but others saw strange visions. Some saw faces that would warp the longer they looked, and others had an overall sense of dread, like just being around it, holding it, everything. The next show was only a month away, and it was at the Pennhurst Asylum. And the Pennhurst Paranormal Association are the caretakers of the property. And there was this one woman who claimed that she was the skeptic of the group. And so she wasn't scared to look into the mirror. But she said that as she gazed into the mirror, she watched her reflection whisper something to her. Well, what did it whisper? Well, she doesn't know because it didn't have a sound. And she can't read lips just like me, apparently. But Greg said that they were all watching her like intently because they're like, what is she going to see? Because they're not, they're behind the mirror, you know, Mm -hmm. looking at her. And her mouth never moved, but what she saw moved. So now she's a believer. At that same event later, there was this man who would be described as like a big burly man, a man's man, if you will, you know. And he lifted up the mirror and looked at it like he was just so confident, only to fumble a few moments later and almost drop the mirror. And he took several steps backwards, kind of in shock and horror, because he said that he saw his reflection. But then there was another person who looked just like him, eerily peek around his reflection Kind of smile and then slink back behind him. Holy shit. Yeah. Also, you want to talk about, for real, some seven years of bad luck is to break that fucking mirror. Right? Oh, my God. Like, legit, what would happen? All that evil would come out on you. Oh, God. You know I can't touch it because I'd fucking break it. Oh, my God. Please. If we ever meet them. Oh, my God. If we ever meet them. But it would be like, don't let her touch anything. Uh, I wouldn't even walk near anything because... I would trip and bonk into something. (laughs) Be like, don't. Be like, why is your friend in bubble wrap? Hold on. Listen to an episode. You'll find out. (laughs) During that same interview on the Bizarre States podcast, 
Greg and Dana recounted one woman who claimed nothing ever really worked for her and she never got to experience anything before. So Greg told her to try the black mirror after signing a waiver, of course. And so she did. Soon she broke down in tears and ran from the room. So a little bit later, like half an hour later, she returned and explained what happened. She said that a couple of years ago, she had had cataract surgery, and the doctor said that there was a good chance that they would return, and that would cause her to go blind. When she looked in the mirror, she watched the cataracts grow back over her eyes, and for like five seconds, she was blind. (gasps) And so that freaked her out. But like before, not all instances were like this at that show. Sometimes they would get headaches as they gazed into the mirror. Some would feel like an electric shock when they held it. One woman said that she could feel and taste blood in her mouth, but nothing was there. But she felt like it was filling up with blood. Mm. Other viewers have reported seeing themselves age, like in progression, like 20 years wink, smile, and then sometimes their eyes will turn black when they're looking at their reflection. But the most common experience viewers have is when they gaze into the mirror, it's their own corpse staring back at them. And it's like a rotting corpse. Mm. But humans are not the only things that are not fans of this mirror. The Newkirk's cat's didn't like the mirror from the beginning. They would run anytime Greg tried to show them their reflection or anything like that. And after the two events, when the mirror was back on the mantle, Greg like took a nap. And when he woke up, he noticed that the cats were sitting in the chair in the living room. Like he was in the living room. They were in the living room. And they were doing that head peak thing when, you know, they're like kind of looking, kind of going up and down, like they see something outside. And he was like, wait, they never sit in that chair together. And then he followed what they were looking at, and it was the mirror. And it was uncovered. Mm. The black veil was on the floor in front of it. But Greg was like, well, maybe the cats uncovered it, and now they're intrigued. Or he was really tired when he put it up there, so he didn't put it up there securely, etc. So he just kind of shook it off, didn't think anything of it. However, it continued to happen for several days. Greg said that the mirror would uncover itself at night, so he was determined to figure out if this was true or not. So he set up a motion-activated camera, and out of the seven days, Greg found that the mirror uncovered itself in three of those days. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, there's video. Well, let me get to it. So, each day that it was uncovered, the memory card was empty, like, completely empty, even though he had it running. He checked the SD card, and when he would check it, it would say file corrupted. And then he said when he would attempt to format the card, it would fail. Nothing worked. But only on those... Three days that Hmm. it was off. So, I mean, you could say that, of course, he doesn't have, yeah, you know, of course it did that. Or he doesn't have it because it sucked out the energy of the appliance because, yeah, 
you know, to do what it did. But as with most of their objects, they put the dark mirror on a live feed. It's for their Facebook fans, for their Patreon fans to be able to watch and report any weird activity that they find with certain objects or anything like that. And they do this to learn more about the objects, which I appreciate. They want to learn more and have as much proof as they can. Like they really try to understand. It's not just like, it's haunted, it's scary, and we're going to make up this huge lavish story about it and charge people to see it. They don't charge anyone to see any of this, you know. Where do they get their funding? How do they do this? How do they travel? Patreon, and they get paid with, like, the conventions and stuff. Gotcha. But them, personally, like, they don't pay for you to see the stuff in the museum. Like, they're part of bigger shows or whatever. Yeah. But they also have Patreon. Gotcha. When it was on the live feed, there were people who saw different things in the mirror and were experiencing different things. Some people reported headaches, nausea, etc. And Greg says, who knows how much of that is the power of suggestion? Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, oh my God, my head hurts. Oh my God, mine does too. You know, all of the things. But still, who knows? I listened to another podcast called Into the Fray Radio, and they interviewed Greg and Dana, and they told the two hosts that right before they jumped on the call for the interview, they were going over some EVPs that they had collected over the last few events that they had done, and somehow they had just missed this EVP altogether, but someone asked the entity in the dark mirror, like, if there's an entity in the dark mirror, where is it from? And what they picked up on that EVP, plain as day, says, from hell. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. I don't fucks with that. (laughs) So, you know how I said it was intriguing, like, the idol? Well, how Billy the idol gained energy from gifts and stuff like that, the dark mirror seems to be the same way, but in a negative way. Greg said that it seems to be a bad influence on other objects that it's displayed with in their home. And like after it's been at several shows and people have held it and all of that, it seemed to have like charged up. Some of the other objects that were affected were the haunted painting that they have, a doll named Ruby and a charred planchette. The painting tossed itself from the wall it was hanging on. Never done that before. The doll they call Ruby just disappeared and they cannot find her. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And the planchette, they have heard it sliding around in its glass display case at night sometimes. Only after a few shows and they put the dark mirror back up by these objects. Wow. And that planchette has its own... It's like a whole other story. Like, I mean, all of their stuff does. Yeah. But it's like that one. I heard that too on this interview and I was like, whew, do I want to do that story? No, I'm going to do this story. You know? Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. To be safe and respectful of their other objects, they wrapped the mirror in a sheet, draped a rosary over it, and locked it in a chest. Everything seemed to go back to normal or their own kind of normal. Greg and Dana have not really looked into the dark mirror themselves. 
Greg said that he feels the mirror wants him to look into it. Before they locked the mirror up, when it was on the mantle and stuff, he said that he would be sitting in the living room and just feel kind of in a trance and like be drawn to it and like look over there all the time and stuff. And he's like, I'm not giving it what it, what it wants then, you know, and mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then also he's so scared that if he looks into it and nothing happens, like it doesn't make him feel like it's nothing. It's just like he doesn't have that story. So when he's presenting it to everyone and they're like, okay, well, what's your story? And it's like, well, I looked it in and nothing happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he's like, I'm so scared of that too. But then also. What if what, something does happen? Yeah. Yeah. And Dana said that she won't look at it because she has a rule that she draws a line since it lives in the house with them. She doesn't want to cross that line and look into it. She has to have boundaries where she doesn't interact in that way and like kind of give it power. So she has to keep those separate. And so she doesn't want to do that, which makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Because then it's got you. Mm -hmm. Also, Greg and Dana said that because of some of the experiences that have happened, they really think that the mirror is like a fear reflector of sorts. Kind of like with the lady with the cataracts. Mm -hmm. People see their rotting corpse. They probably have a really big fear of death. And because of this, Dana and Greg don't necessarily believe that the mirror is haunted, but instead it feeds on the human interaction and fear. So think about Sarah's mom. It drained her over those several weeks because she was obsessed with it. And the only reason it's not draining anyone else, it's because there's several people looking into the mirror and charging it. And it doesn't have to lock onto one person in particular now. And If you want to think about mirrors in general, when dealing with the supernatural, they hold a lot of weight. They can be portals. They can trap souls, everything. So it does seem that they would be charged by interaction. Yeah. So my question to you and the fellow Creepsters, would you look into the dark mirror? And if so, what do you think you'd see? No, absolutely not. I wouldn't look. If it is feeding off your fear... Well, then I don't want to see what I already know I'm afraid of. What? But what are you afraid of? Like, what's your biggest fear? Being old and alone. Are you still afraid of that? Yeah. Okay. I don't know, though. There's so many different things. Like, it could be, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just don't, I, I don't want something to have power over me like that. Well, it's like, I don't want to see the future or... Whatever, like if I am lonely or whatever, because then I don't want that to dictate how I live my life. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I don't want to be lonely, so I'm going to just like lock on to some fuckboy who. But no, isn't- not even like relationship wise. I mean, just like, I mean, you could have the most amazing relationship and then pass away before you. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Everybody around you pass away and you're left alone. Like, it's not. For sure. It's not necessarily about that, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know what my biggest fear is because my biggest fear for my whole life was my mom dying. Yeah. And then she did and I'm still alive. So I fucking face my biggest fear. Now what, motherfuckers? No, just kidding. I have so many different fears. 
Don't come at don't me. Don't say that. Yeah. Don't come at me, Jigsaw. Um, or, I don't want to play a game. universe. I mean. <laughs> I don't want to play a game. Also, like, I mean, I don't know. I guess really is it different than, like, tarot cards and all that? Like, yeah, trying true. to, quote, unquote, see the future or, like, what their recommendations are for you for things you need to work on and all. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, really is it different? Because that guides how you do things, too. Yeah. But, I mean, this fear monger that's the, you know. Yeah. But, no, I wouldn't look at him. I think I would just because I'm I'm nosy as fuck. I think if you looked in it and you were okay, I might. (laughs) If you haven't died yet, okay, you're you're still alive? Okay, I'll do it. No, I'd have to hold it for you. That's the damn truth. (laughs) Actually, I take all of it back. I never will do it because I will drop it. (laughs) No, I'll be handing it to you. Like, okay, Carrie, you do it. And then it's going to slip out of my butterfingers. And you're going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. And not catch it, though. The one time you don't whoa, 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 and catch it, it's going to be on the fucking dark mirror. And we're going to be like, did we do that? Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) And its name is the dark mirror. I mean, why you want, uh uh-uh. Why you inviting that darkness in? Love and light, people. Love and light. (laughs) (laughs) I watch Real Housewives of New Jersey. Love and light. (laughs) Well, that's it for my story. Well, I freaking love that. I love it. I love them. I love how they approach all of their stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, I'm just a fucking fangirl. But one of the interviewers said that she said that they were like the modern day Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, that's a touchy uh mm, well mm, and it was like cute and he was like well it's not a bad thing but hopefully with without all the controversy yeah because again like they're not super religious in that way of like ed and lorraine where they're not trying to do exorcisms they don't think that everything's a demon you know like they don't go into it like that they're very respectful they I don't know. They just see it from, I think this is why I think you would like them too. They try to see it from like, not just a scientific view, but just like, what could this be? Uh, like a pragmatic kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that everything's not a demon, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that is refreshing. Yeah. They're just not negative. Like even with this, like they didn't say like, Okay, well, we're never going to show that again. We're never, like, no, it still has a purpose. And it's still educational. And it's still whatever. But they're going to lock it up because it wasn't respecting the other objects that's that's in Mm -hmm. their house. It's like these objects and their energy are kids. It really is. And the mirror is in timeout (laughs) because it did not respect its friends. Yeah. And it pushed them on the playground. Definitely. So it is in timeout. <laughs> Dang. Well, I really liked this story. Well, I already know that whatever story you do, the person's going to be worse than the mirror and probably worse than timeout. We shall see. So we're going to keep it kind of local for my story. Okay. And Alabama. No. But the other day, so we were looking through some articles. Who's we? Well, Colby and me. 
Okay. Really Colby. And he was like, oh, it was like these top things that have happened in Mississippi that you'd never heard of. Oh, okay. Well, this was on it. And so I was like, uh, screenshot that and send it to me. Please. <laughs> I'm so bossy. Anyway, so I started looking this up. And it's it's going to be kind of a short story. But I looked to see, I like literally found it nowhere in Apple Podcasts. Like, okay. I don't think anybody's ever done this story. And then there was like one YouTube video on it that was literally like a minute and seven seconds. And I couldn't get any sound out of it. So this is kind of piecemealed together the best I could of what I could find. So here we go. Okay. We're going to go down to a town called Lee Town, Mississippi. And it's just outside of Picayune, Mississippi, which is right on the border of Mississippi and Louisiana. It's 1981, and it's Thanksgiving Day. We're out in the country, and this guy sees his neighbor driving away pretty quickly in said neighbor's mother's car. And so he's like, that's weird, because the guy that was driving away, his name is James Billiot. And James is 20 years old, but he's not allowed to drive his mother's car. So... The neighbor went over to check because clearly something was up. And when they get there, they find Wallace Joseph Kroll. He was 53. He was laying on the kitchen floor. And then in the living room, laying on the couch, they find Audrey Kroll, who is 47, and that was James's mother. She's dead. And then by the door is Cheryl Ann Kroll. She was 14. Oh, gosh. So the police keep looking around, and they find a sledgehammer. Oh, my gosh. That had been used to kill the family. Oh, God, that's so brutal. Yes. But you could tell it was almost like a frenzy, like it had just happened. Like a spur of the moment. Yeah, because there was even... Like a macaroni dish on the stove that they were about to take to the neighbor's house for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh my gosh. But you could tell that there was this huge struggle that had ensued. I mean, especially if he's trying to kill three people with a sledgehammer. Yeah. You know, there was time for a struggle. Yeah. It looked like he had killed his stepfather first. But here's the thing. There's no motive. We we still don't get a motive at all, ever? No. <gasps> No, we have no idea why James did this. So, guess a detail that I left out. I mean, on purpose. What? Guess who it was that saw him driving in his mom's car. Who? His 11-year-old half-brother that was at the neighbor's house already. Oh, my gosh. So, he survived only... Because he wasn't at the house. Oh, my gosh. He was 11 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. Luckily, though, it was the neighbors. Like, he saw it and he said, hey, you know, James is driving mom's car. He's not supposed to. So he was going fast kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And they went over and found the bodies. Thank God. Could you oh imagine? Gosh, no. But well, also that the 11-year-old knew, like, hey, he's driving mom's car. He's not supposed to. And, you know, it was fast, like, for an 11-year-old to be – that insightful to know something's up. Yeah. You can tell that there's clearly some sort of history. Well, that's what I was going to say. If he's 20 and not allowed to drive her car, there's definitely something going on. 
Well, there was. James had a significant history of mental illness. He had a history with law enforcement, but just like just like mischievous things, though, like trespassing, nothing, no like violent crimes. At the time of the murders, James was actually working as a volunteer firefighter. Damn. But he didn't have a steady job. Three months before the murders, he had just gotten out of Mississippi State Hospital at Whitfield. Oh, wow. And Whitfield's like the mental institution for the state. My Uncle Bob wasn't there. Of course, we don't know why he was at Whitfield because that's, you know, patient confidentiality, HIPAA, all the things. But what we do know is that his family had put him there. Mm. So there's a chance that maybe that, like, something blew up with that, you know, maybe they were arguing about that. I don't know. Yeah. Well, his grandmother lived just over the Louisiana line in St. Bernard Parish, and so they thought that he might be heading there. Oh, shit. So they, I don't know if it was just like he was running there. I don't know if he had intention of hurting her. So they put out an all-points bulletin to be like, okay, hey, look out for this guy. He's 5'9", he's 160 pounds, he's got brown hair, brown eyes, and, quote, large mouth with big teeth. Is he a shark? Is he an alligator? (laughs) I mean... What? Damn. I, I mean, call a boy out, okay? Right? But they ended up catching him a couple of days later. He hadn't done anything to his grandmother. She was okay. When they arrested him, he was very delusional. And so I'm wondering if maybe he had some sort of schizophrenic diagnosis or something. I, I, I mean, look, I'm not a psychologist. I just play one on the podcast. But he had something going on. Well, he ended up going to trial. And one of the Picayune newspapers reported that his brother that is the one who saw him driving the car and all actually testified against him. And he said that, well, let me back up. I'm going to tell you all what he said in this news article. And it's a little different than one of the other news articles that I found, just like kind of with some some details. So I'm going to tell you all what this one says that he testified as. So his brother testified that when he was going down the road. They were like they were going one way, and they saw James walking. And when they came back, they saw James driving his mom's car. And that's when he knew something was going on. This article says that Steve is the one that found the family. Oh gosh, yeah. So I, I don't know because this one says that like he's quoted saying, "Little Jimmy shot my dad," because like James went by Jimmy. Mm. So I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I kind of lean towards more towards this one because it's supposed to be what he testified to. Yeah. Well, he might have been there with the True. neighbor. True. Well, it said that when they got there originally, Wallace, the dad, was still gasping for breath. Oh, gosh. That's heartbreaking. It was also testified that Wallace's head was, quote, mush. Oh, gosh. Yes. Oh, oh. Yes. So that is how much he beat them with the sledgehammer. Oh, God. Why is that? That like the sledgehammers or hammers, like it just like, it sends shivers down my spine thinking about the pain. Like that, like when I think about what a victim has been through, that like crushes my soul more than like a gunshot or a knife. Knowing they all fucking hurt. And it's all terrible, but something about that level of 
like or when people get hit by like a jack for a car, you know, stuff yeah. like that. Like it just like oh, I, I don't know if it's maybe because it takes longer. That's to what kill I was somebody. gonna say. I think it's because it takes longer. Ooh, it hurts me. Well, and two, I feel like we all have been hit with something hard before. Like I've had my breath knocked out by a baseball bat. It was my sister, and she was like, get up close so I can show you how to swing, and then really showed me how to swing. (laughs) This is why I don't play sports. (laughs) I mean, among other reasons, but... You know, running and... Everything else. Throwing and catching and... (laughs) Mm. The sun. But that was so scary, but like, you know what I mean? Like, everyone's been hit hard with something or, like, ran into something hard. Yeah. So I guess you know what that pressure is more than, you know, what a gunshot is. I don't know what that is. Yeah. You know. Well, when they picked him up, he told police initially that he was Jesus. Then he told them, like, when they got to this police station, that he was Romeo Machiavelli. Then later he was like, okay, okay, okay. I'm Led Zeppelin. Like, he, I mean, so he was clearly delusional. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't just like a, it wasn't just like he was fucking with them. No, like, he was clearly in the midst of some delusions of grandeur. Yeah. When he was arrested, he was in Orleans Parish, and in, in, he was in New Orleans. And so they held him in the jail at New Orleans until they extradited him back to Mississippi. And there was some confusion with, like, they were going to hold the hearing for extradition, and they weren't, and Supreme Court stuff. Like, there was some court things that are beyond, you know, my simple brain. But when they were bringing him back to Mississippi, he started talking to the deputies about the murder. And they, like, read him they read him his rights, and they were like, look, you need to wait until you have – because he had an attorney – I mean, obviously, it was a court appointed, but he had an attorney. And so they're like, you need to wait until you talk to your attorney. But one of the deputies testified saying, quote, he insisted on talking anyhow. He said that he had been right behind the devil when the devil killed his three relatives with the sledgehammer and that he didn't kill him. So, again, it's like you, you see the level of mental illness going on. Yeah. God, that's so sad. And I do want to say, I want to preface this with... Even if he does have schizophrenia, stepping on soapbox, no matter what his mental illness is, the percentage of people who have mental illnesses who are violent to other people is is, is minute. It's like people who have hallucinations and delusions associated with disorders like schizophrenia are way more violent towards themselves than other people. And so I just want to be very clear about that, that I am not by any means saying that he killed his family because of a mental illness. I am not saying that at all. So two psychiatrists evaluated him and said that he was fit to stand trial. When they were deciding his competency for the trial, they were looking at his, obviously his psychological state, but also his cognitive level. And he had an IQ of 90, which is within the normal range. He even did this test called the Georgia court test to see like his competency and it put him at normal range. And it was saying that like multiple 
I guess they kind of convened the psychiatrist and forensic psychiatrist at Whitfield and said, like, no, he's he's competent to stand trial. And their main reason for saying, like, he was sane, quote unquote, at the time of the murders was because of his actions after it. Like, he he took a gun from the house. He went on the run. You know, all of that yeah. versus whatever else someone they deemed as insane would do. I wonder if he had stopped taking his medicine or something. I don't know. And I don't know if, I mean, even if he's taken his medicine, could he have a... An episode? Yeah, I couldn't think of a word. Exactly. I don't know. But it was even said during the trial, like, that he thought his family worshipped the devil and that they had to die to, like, release the curse of the devil. But that, to me, is inconsistent with him saying that he was behind, like, he watched the devil kill him. Because why would the devil, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, I mean, I'm trying to put logic to an illogical yeah. thing, you know. So, all in all, the jury found him guilty, and he was sentenced to death. Oh, wow. But that's not where the story ends. Oh, shit. So I, for this next part, I dug and dug and dug and dug and dug. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be mad at me because I don't really have an answer for what happened next. But in 2009, a federal judge found him insane and vacated his death sentence. And he said that the state had 60 days to either admit him to Whitfield or release him. Wow. He'd been on death row for like 27 years when this federal judge ordered this. Well, the Mississippi Attorney General filed a motion being like, uh, uh, no, Whitfield isn't equipped to handle him because he's like a higher security risk, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they came back and they were like, oh, wait, sorry, that was just a miscommunication because Whitfield was like, uh, yeah, we are. You know, like, what are you talking about? Where the state mental hospital, like, he's who we get, you know? Yeah. And so they came back and they're like, oh, oh but that's not what we meant. But, but like, he should stay in jail kind of thing. And that is literally, that was 2010 was the last article I found. And none of it said what the decision was. Oh, my gosh. So I looked him up. I did, like, Mississippi inmate lookup. And I did find him. And it said that... He's like his location had him at the Mississippi State Penitentiary, which is Parchman. There's three different like state mm-hmm. prisons in Mississippi, and Parchman's kind of the main one. So that's where he is currently. And it had like the most recent location changed on him. The date was May 5th, 2020. Whoa. Like, what are the odds whoa yes and so i think that that's the most recent up to date i from everything i can find he's still in parchment in mississippi in jail just he's not on death row anymore wow so really his location didn't change because that's where he was on death row yeah yeah and like when you look at his new he looks very like manson-esque so that's it. That's the story of this wow. random family story. annihilator. Yes, this random story I found that was like the smallest amount of research that I possibly can find. And so I know this is a very short story for a true crime story, but it, I mean, I was just like, 
With a sledgehammer? Wait, they wanted to release him? Like, not just like, this judge said fucking let him out into the wild? Right? Like, the uh, hell? What? <laughs> that should not ever be an option. He killed three people. His family, his own family. I just want to know what was the catalyst. Like, what about that day? I mean, it was Thanksgiving Day. Clearly, it had been a relatively normal morning because they had their little casserole dish they were about to take to the neighbors. Like, what about that morning was like, this is it. This is the time, you know? Yeah. I mean, because you can't say, like, he, I, I truly don't believe he was planning it. Like, he probably really was in a delusional state. Mm-hmm. Maybe he really did think that they were the, you know, cursed or whatever. But what about that day? Like, why that day? I just wish there was more information. Yeah. I just wish we had more information, too, about his past mental health history. Yeah. And what made him violent? Because it's so uncommon. Yeah. This was a heavy story for me. Yeah, it is. You know, it. well, it's it's around that time that, I mean, it's hard on people. I thought that, know? too. It's the, it's so, the holidays. It's, yeah. it's the beginning of the holidays. So it could have been that he was in a delusional state and, you know, she's like, oh, my God, just get it together. We're going mm-hmm. over there, you know, and he just couldn't. And yeah. it just, you know, like... All came together. Whew. I don't know. I freaking loved your story this week. Thank you. Sorry, that was like a random, like, weird transition. Just like, <laughs> oh, I loved your story. <laughs> <laughs> but I needed some happiness after my story. Yes. Well, yours was definitely heavy. But, like, I feel like a weird heavy. Like, a different heavy. Yeah. I don't know. We. I hope y'all liked them. Again, I know it was kind of a short episode. And yeah, but yours tied in well with... May being uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. And I didn't even plan that. <laughs> Imagine that. that. <laughs> well, y'all know, we always want to know what y'all think about the stories. Um, like Donna said, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Please, as we always say, be taking care of yourself. Obviously, both physically and mentally. It's such trying times right now. I mean, look, I lost, I called my mama this morning and I lost my shit talking to her and was just crying for no damn reason. So it is a really hard time right now. And it just, it all adds up when you've got financial stress and job stress and you can't go anywhere and you're, you know, it's, it's so hard. So thank you for all of those who are still working at places, especially places that aren't getting the love like truck drivers Mm -hmm. and people working in the food industry, people working at grocery stores and Walmart and all that. Like y'all are keeping us afloat and we appreciate it so much. Yes. So fucking much. So please continue to take care of yourself. Reach out to friends, do all the FaceTime, Zoom, Google Hangouts, whatever it is you, you can do. Please do that. Reach out to people. Stay connected. Know you're loved. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.